0: Good to worship our God together with song, uh, with our tithes and offerings, uh, and we always want to remember and praise God for those who give online and through other means as well. This morning we celebrate the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of Hope. Advent is a season of eager and expectant longing where we prepare our hearts for Christmas, for the coming, the birth of Jesus. But more than that, we prepare our hearts for God entering into our lives and our hearts in all moments, in all places, and at all times. This Advent, our theme is how a new family changes everything. And so today, we're looking at how God gives hope, how he gives his new family, his people, a new hope to fill us with hope in all moments, all places, and all times, even and perhaps especially when hope seems impossible. As we always do, we're going to open up God's word together. And so this morning, I want to read for you from Isaiah chapter 51. We're going to read the first 11 verses. This is a big or a part of a very big letter that Isaiah writes. uh, And there's several chunks to it. But this chunk is written to the people after they are in exile, away from God, away from their home. And Isaiah says to them, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord." Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me, says the Lord. My justice will be a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. My arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in the hope of my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail, says the Lord. Hear me, you who know what is right. You people who have taken my instruction to heart. Do not, fear the, do not fear the reproach of mere mortals. Do not be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever. My salvation through all generations. Awake, awake arm of the Lord. Clothe yourself with strength Awake as in the days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces who pierced that monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea of the waters of the great deep, and who made a road in the depths of the sea, so that the redeemed might cross over? Do any of you know that story? Those whom the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and singing, sorrow and sighing will flee away. So far, the reading of God's Word. This morning, we enter Advent, and we're also in December. We're near to the end of the year. And every time I get closer to the end of the year, I tend to look back on the year, So this year, look back on 2023, on the year that has been. Isaiah is writing this letter to a nation that is constantly looking back. As Isaiah writes this letter, as the Israelites receive Isaiah's letter, these are the Israelites who sat and wept by the river Babylon as they remembered the year and the years that had gone by as they remembered their home far away. They remembered the past and all the things that they had lost. I wept a few times this year as well. I wept when I went to Spain in February for my friend Andrew's funeral, when I saw his body. I wept after I left our synod meetings, the meetings of our denomination. I wept after I realized that I had selfishly hurt someone who I love. We weep when we come to the end of ourselves. We weep when we run out of strength and out of power. We weep when we run to the end of our abilities. We weep when we run out of money. But most of all, we weep when we run out of hope. Like the Israelites, like me, none of us can live a life without grief or without pain. We are born as sinful people into a sinful and broken world. Everything we do is touched by sin in some way. No one can live without grief or pain. But in the same way, no one can live without hope. So why is it that grief and pain often seem so plentiful? And hope seems so hard to come by. As I visited and talked with many of you in the congregation over the past few months... I've encountered time and time again the experience that real and lasting hope feels far away. It feels or seems impossible. Somebody said to me, it feels like I'm on a treadmill. Like, but maybe this is just the stage of life that I'm in. Maybe it'll be better later. Somebody else said, well, all of my friends are outside of the church. I come because I think it's what God calls me to do, but I don't hope for much anymore. Somebody else struggles with supporting all the people near and far who depend on him. Life is hard, but there's no expectation that things can change. When we look at our world, when we look at ourselves, when we look at our situations, we can all lose hope. It's very easy to find ourselves in a situation where hope seems impossible. As we go through challenges personally, relationally, and uh, as a community, many have felt like hope is elusive. Maybe it would be better if I just walked away. Maybe I need to quit my job. Maybe I need to move to a different place. Maybe we need to leave the church. Maybe we just can't find a way forward. But if we run away, then what? What would we do then? In human terms, hope is difficult to generate in any situation. And more than that, hope is impossible in human terms to maintain over the long term. If our hope is in human things, which is to say if our hope is in what people's, in, in other people's or our own money or morality, if it's in our own cleverness or our own advancement, that hope will let us down sooner or later. We tell ourselves, or at the very least, our world tells us, "Well, we should all just try a little bit harder. We should all just do, just do a little bit better. It may sound hopeful or be said in a hopeful tone, but that idea is not hopeful. It's actually quite a dreadful and mostly hopeless idea. Because the fact of the matter is that we get to where we are and we are here, But we get to where we are, for the most part, not by laziness, but by trying quite hard. We got to where we are because well-intentioned people are doing what is right and best in our own eyes. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says as much. He talks about human history. He says, human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, it's all... The long, terrible story of humanity trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The Old Testament says more or less the same thing. The Old Testament, the whole Bible, and the rest of human history is full of examples of people trying to do what is right and best in our own eyes doing what seems like common sense and finding that at best it's insufficient. And at worst, it creates a vacuum and creates even more suffering. It's not good news just to try a little harder. Our best efforts have gotten us where we are. And we still experience grief and pain on the regular. We still hope and long and look for a hope that will last. I wonder if when we read our text this morning... You missed the hope that was there and that is there. We as people living in the West don't generally have a deep understanding of the world of the Bible, and that's doubly true for the Old Testament. We miss a lot of what Scripture is saying, and especially what the Old Testament is saying, because we don't live in that world or that culture. Uh, It seems a long way away from us. A lot of time and a lot of space. But God's plan for hope, or God's plan for his people, that plan of hope, began from the beginning, when God chose a people through whom he will bless the whole world. After the fall into sin, God chose Abraham, who Isaiah references here. And you and I are a recipients of God's blessing to Abraham and to the Jewish people that has continued through the centuries. In our passage that we read uh, together this morning, God pictures his people, the Jews, as a rock in the world of shifting sand. Israel is this little rock in verse 1 and 2. The Greek word is Petra, and nerds like me get excited about things like that. But the picture that Isaiah uses is that this little rock, he says, was cut out of a quarry. That out of the big rock, which is God, God cut a little rock, his people, one group, to be a blessing to all the peoples and all the nations of the world. He set them apart to be his own people, his own family, through which he would bless everyone else and bring hope to the world. It might help you to solidify this picture of God as the big rock and Israel, God's people, as the little rock, If you remember, and connect that to family, if you remember that in the Old Testament, houses were not built with wood and drywall. Houses were built with rock. Throughout history, God was building a new family on this little rock. God's people became known as the house of Israel. A new family built on the rock of God's faithfulness to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, or Israel. This rock became the foundation for Jesus to come. This is why when the Israelites were in Babylon and exile in Egypt, or exile in Babylon, excuse me, Isaiah wrote, and I'm just rereading our text for this morning. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut. In other words, look to God. Look to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. God's call to his people in exile was to return to him, to put their hope in him, and to look to his goodness and faithfulness and his promises to Abraham in the past as assurances that they could put their hope in God for the present and for the future. Two weeks ago, uh, when I preached last, I preached about justice. And one of the things I said was that in the Old Testament especially, but in the whole Bible... If you ever see the words justice and righteousness, the Bible is talking about the kingdom of God. You can't see the words kingdom of God without thinking about righteousness and justice. And you can't see the words righteousness and justice without referring to the kingdom of God. Now that I've reminded us of that, I want to look again at verses 3 and 4 here. Where Isaiah says, or God speaking through Isaiah says, Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice, God says, will be a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation's on the way. My arm will bring justice to the nations. The, the islands look to me and wait for hope, wait in hope for my arm. Isaiah is pointing people to God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, or what's sometimes talked about as the kingdom of heaven. Brad Young, in his book, Jesus, the Jewish theologian, reminds us that the kingdom of heaven is realized in the present world. It appears in full force. For Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is, one, the power of God, that is, God doing what God wants, and two, it's the people of God, that is, the people of God doing what God wants Brad says all people can experience God's rule when they obey God's absolutes or God's instructions. He releases his divine power in their lives. Healing, love, forgiveness, and acceptance can be channels of God's power in a hurting world. God's saving activity establishes his kingdom now. Consider your own life for a moment as I say this next few sentences. Is it true for you as it is for me that all of our loss of hope results from looking to people and places other than God? Looking to myself or to others or to other things for help, for strength, for power, and then being let down. There is no harder thing than coming to the end of ourselves And realizing that I cannot help or we cannot help ourselves. That we are not smart enough, not rich enough, not powerful enough, not persuasive enough to build something that lasts. Yet we look to ourselves again and again. That's part of the human condition in a broken world. And again and again in the Old Testament, God sees his people looking to themselves, looking to others. And he calls his people again and again to put their hope in God, to look to God's kingdom, to look to God as king, to look to his power. In a world where we constantly look back to ourselves, Isaiah reminds Israel as God remains us today. Look as God reminds us today. Look to God to be your rock Look to God to be your strength. Look to God to be your deliverance. Look to God to be your hope. The hope for God's people in the Old Testament was that God had set them apart. He had built them on a rock, on a strong, firm foundation. Israel wasn't the big rock, they were the little rock. They were cut from the big rock, they were cut from God and built as a house on that rock. Likewise, Abraham was not the rock, he too was cut from the rock. God was and God is the rock. Time and time again, God shows his people that he would protect them, that he will deliver them, that he will sustain them, that he will provide for them. Or to put it another way, that he will protect you, that he will deliver you, that he will sustain you, that he will provide for you when you put your hope in God not in yourself and not in others. When God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt, when he takes them out of the wilderness, when he establishes a kingdom for them, the Israelites built firmly and literally on a rock in Jerusalem, but even more firmly on the figurative rock of God and God's faithfulness and goodness. In the time of the judges, when everyone did what was right in in their own eyes, they suffered. But after they suffered, God delivered them and set them again on a firm foundation. Isaiah's uh, prophecy that we read together goes through time and time again, century and century after of rebellion and examples where God allows his people to suffer because of their hardness of their hearts, because of their own stubbornness, but always brings them back to the rock. Even after their exile that Isaiah is writing to, God literally brought his people back to Jerusalem, but more importantly, brought his people back to himself. And then after the Israelites returned from exile, there was yet more uncomfortable silence. No one heard from God for over 400 years. People were longing for a deliverer. They were looking to all kinds of human places for power, for stability, for hope, and for a future. In the history of God's people, this is a time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's often called the intertestamental period, the time between the two halves of the Bible. But it's also a period of darkness of discouragement and into that darkness God sent the one his one and only son God sent Jesus to show his beloved people who to hope in who to be who to trust in who to rely on and who to build their hope on to build their family on Jesus knew his Hebrew Bible far better than any of us do. And so later in his ministry, Jesus asked his disciples who they were putting their hope in. Peter, the keener, the first one disciple who's usually the first to speak, Peter said, you, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this little rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus knows his Old Testament. He knows that Israel is the little rock carved from the big rock of God's faithfulness. And he sees Peter continuing in the tradition and faith of God's people. And he says, On this Petra, on this little rock, I will build my church. My household, my family, my new family. Or a new family, excuse me, for all people. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. There's two parts to this hope of this fa- the new family of God that Jesus gives in this powerful word or sentence to his disciples. The first is that the hope for the church, for this new family of God, is the same little rock that was in the Old Testament. The hope for the church, for the new family of God is the same hope for God's people in the Old Testament. Our hope is God's kingdom, God's power, God's glory. Our hope is God doing what God wants and God's people doing what God wants here on earth already now and also when Jesus returns. The second part of the hope is that God's kingdom is not only present, it is present, but not only is it here, but it's also advancing. It's also growing. Jesus says the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not prevail against, uh, will not prevail against the kingdom of God or will not prevail against this church. Sometimes this passage is thought of as being a a clash where sometimes hell is or Hades is coming for God's people. But gates are not offensive structures, even the gates of hell. Gates are for defense. Gates are for keeping people out. And Jesus says that not even the gates of Hades will prevail against the church. When he says that, he's promising and proclaiming and articulating a triumph and a deliverance and a victory, and a life that covers the whole earth and even reaches into the spiritual realms. God gives his people a picture of hope all throughout the Old Testament and most clearly in Jesus. The picture of hope is a people and a family that is small but built on a rock And the power and the life of this people, this new family built on this rock, is an ever-expanding and ever-advancing power because it is a family that is filled with God's power. It's a family that's filled with God's life and animated by God's Spirit. If our eyes and our hearts are on God, and if our hands and our feet are quick to obey God, then we experience His provision His deliverance, his power, and his blessing. Like the Israelites, Christians today must learn time and time again to put our hope in God, to build our lives and our plans, our households and our families on God and to build on God and on God's faithfulness. Not to build on our own preferences, not to build on our own strengths, not to build on our own money, our own abilities, or even our own biological families. We're always tempted to put ourselves in the center, to build on ourselves in some way. This is true even in the church. Even with the group who Jesus is talking about, when we're supposed to get it right, we still focus on ourselves as well. Reverend, Glenn, uh, Reverend Dr. Glenn Packham posted this recently. He said, the temptation when a church gains mass is for its gravitational pull to draw everybody into its orbit. Come to our events. Let us be the center for your community, for your mission, etc. But the gatherings of the church, he uses this picture that I think is helpful. The gatherings of the church are the training wheels for a life of hospitality and service in the world. In other words, the hope For the church is not come to the church. The hope for the church is to come to God, to know God, and to wherever we go, wherever we live, whatever we do, and whomever we serve, to show the greatness of our God. As Christians, as God's people, we have this amazing hope, but our hope is in God, And the biggest mistake we can make, and the mistake we make so often, is to do all kinds of things that God calls us to do, to do godly things or to do good things, but to try to do them without God. If we try to do some good thing, or even some godly thing, but we build it not on God, we will fail. God doesn't instruct his church to gain mass, to be a gravitational force, to pull people in. We're not so powerful as God. We're just the little rock. God God gives us the church so that we might be the new family of God's people who witness to the power and strength and wealth the love and deliverance and holiness, the goodness of our God. The church is not a -a once-a-week event. It's a new family for those who know the deliverance of God, who see God's deliverance and look for, seek God's provision and guiding all throughout our lives and everywhere we go and everything we do. And so the church is also a group, a new family of those who can't help but speak and sing of the goodness and the love of God. The church is a group of people who are always going back to the rock. Not to the little rock, but to the big one, to God himself. Our world today seems dark and hopeless In some ways, similar to the intertestamental period. And into this world, God continues to create a new family and a new hope for every person. As I said, this is a family that's shaped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not shaped by our preferences, but by God's desire to make room for us in his house, in his family, and around his table. This church, this new family gathered together and built on the rock, belongs to and depends on God. It's not my church or your personal church. It's God's church. Put another way, we don't get to dictate the terms of our relationship together. God invites all to come to the table. God builds his people on a rock. God shapes our community and God is our hope. This Advent, God invites you and he invites all of us into his kingdom and into his new family. But along with you, God has also invited the person who is your enemy. Along with you, God has invited the person whom you disagree with. Along with you, God has even invited the person who mistreats you. Along with you, God has even invited the person whose tastes and concerns are different from yours. God has also invited a person whose culture is different from yours. God has made room for all people at his kingdom, in his, at, around his table, and in his family. All who respond are welcome. There's no preference for one kind of person over another. There is room for all in the rock And on this new household, this new family of God. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. Not in ourselves, not what we can do, but in God. What God has done, what God is doing, and what He will do again. So let's come to Him in prayer. God, we put our hope in you. Father, in the gentlest way, but also as you are so firm and so kind with us, show us the way in which each of us and all of us continue to put our hope in ourselves in our own ways of being, our own preferences. Soften our hearts. Lead us back to you. Take us, Lord, to the rock that is higher than I, that is higher than we, so that we might be safe and secure Provide for us as only you can so that we might return the next week, the next month, and the next year and continue to sing your praises and shout and experience your goodness. Father, show us that as you have shown your people so many times that we are wise to obey you, that we are wise to follow you, that we are wise to put our hope in you because you give us just what we need and even more. We pray, Lord, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.